Maundy Thursday is, um, comes from the Latin term uh, mandatum, which uh, we get our word commandment from. So we call this Maundy Thursday as if, as if to say it's the Thursday of the commandment. That is, it's Thursday, the day before the crucifixion, that Jesus gave what he called a new commandment to his disciples. And that commandment uh, that Luke read was to, that they should love one another just as he had loved them. So this comes in John 13, which takes us into the upper room where Jesus is sharing the last few hours of his life with his disciples. So John 13 is uh, a window into the conversation and activity that went on that night in the upper room between Jesus and the disciples. And just after Jesus gives the new commandment that they should love one another just as he had loved them, the very next episode that John records in chapter 13 is this brief dialogue between Peter and Jesus. Peter is, is confused. He's having a hard time uh, getting a handle on what's going on. So earlier as they were having supper together, Jesus had knelt down to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter objected. He said, Lord, are you, are you really going to wash my feet? You know, that's not something a Lord does. But Jesus said to Peter, you don't now understand what I'm doing, but you'll understand later. Well, this is what it was like for Peter to live with someone who knew the future, someone who could see what was coming. Uh, but Jesus, interestingly, just speaks in these veiled terms many times. that The disciples had a hard time grasping. Jesus retains this element of mystery in how he talks about the future. And Peter's having a hard time getting what's going on. So later during the meal, Jesus says something about going away, and Peter's thinking, where are you going? So Peter asks him where he's going, and this is the conversation that John records in uh, chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. So this is the text we're looking at this evening, John 13, 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. (coughs) Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I want to point out three simple observations from this conversation between Peter and Jesus. First, Peter is a confused disciple. Second, Jesus is a compassionate Lord. And third, discipleship is a costly path. So first of all, Peter is a confused disciple. What's obvious behind the lines of Peter's questions is that he is ignorant regarding the plan of God. This is interesting because it comes near the culmination of Christ's work. His disciples have heard almost the whole sum of his teaching, and yet they seem to be in the dark. So in these chapters in John, chapters 13 through 17, which present um, all, all this activity that's going on in the upper room, in these chapters, almost every time the disciples speak, they're, they're completely befuddled. Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet at the beginning of chapter 13? And Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing. 
And then later on it says the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. And then in the next chapter, Thomas says, uh, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Followed by Philip who says, Lord, show us the Father. To which Jesus replies, have I been with you this long and you still don't know me? Then Judas, not Iscariot, not the betraying Judas, but, but the good Judas, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And then in chapter 16, after Jesus had addressed them uh, at length, the disciples look at each other and ask, uh, what's he saying to us? What does he mean by this? We don't know what he's talking about. How isolated Jesus must have felt. His closest friends struggled to understand his core identity, the essence of who he was. It's interesting that the men closest to Christ, at the time when his teaching was almost complete, they've heard almost everything that Jesus is going to say, and yet they seem so unclear. Peter's confused about Jesus, about his mission, about who he is, but Peter's also confused about himself. For Peter, his ignorance and confusion extends even to his own weakness, So notice what Jesus says to Peter. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. And then how does Peter reply? He says, I'll lay down my life for you. In other words, Peter is arguing with Jesus. Well, why did Jesus say that Peter could not follow him? Where where is it that Jesus was going? Well, he's going to the Father, right? But to get to the Father, he's passing through suffering and death in order to complete the will of the Father. And then he proceeds to the Father's right hand. So Jesus is going to obey. He's going to submit to the Father's plan. Jesus is going to do what the Father has willed for him to do. And it was a Father's will to crush him, Isaiah says. That's where Jesus is going. He's going to his own destruction for the sake of obedience to the Father. And he says to Peter, you can't follow me there. Now, Peter thinks he can. He says, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. But Jesus says, you're not able. You're going to deny me three times before day breaks and the rooster crows. Peter's ignorance extends to his own weakness. He doesn't know how weak he is. He's got big self-confidence, but very limited insight into his own inability Of course, Peter later that evening draws his sword in the garden, right? And shows great bravery and defends his Lord. But a few hours later around the fire, he fulfills this prediction by denying Christ. You see, his his claims, his earnest, sincere promises don't keep him from falling, from yielding to temptation. I'm sure you know the feeling you might make a pretty good stand for righteousness every now and then, a big victory against temptation or whatnot, but the victory only is brief. It only lasts a time. Of course, we may resolve to do better next time, but our nature simply won't allow it. And precisely because we are bound to fail, we need more than mere resolve to conquer sin. We need forgiveness for our inevitable failure for our inevitable uh, yielding to sin. Which brings us to our second observation from this passage. 
that Jesus is a compassionate Lord. This is a brief passage, just a, a couple verses. Jesus has so few words here, and yet so much to say to Peter. His compassion toward Peter is evident on many levels. So notice how Jesus affirms Peter. He says, you will follow me later, which is actually a strong word of affirmation. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapters 7 and 8, Jesus had been speaking to the crowd of Jews and said nearly identical things to what he says here to Peter. He's talking about going away and how they would not be able to follow him. But Peter's conclusion about the crowd of Jews in John chapter 8 is much different than his conclusion here about Peter. In John 8, 21, Jesus said to the crowds, I'm going away, and you'll seek me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. But to Peter, he says, you cannot come now, but you will follow me later. So this is Jesus giving a confident invitation to continued discipleship. He's basically asking Peter to continue following him. Even as he predicts Peter's denial, Jesus displays no indignation at what Peter will do. Rather, he affirms Peter and says, Peter, you will fall, but you will make a comeback. You'll follow me later. This confirms the trajectory of Peter's uh, eventual usefulness in ministry. So Jesus affirms Peter, but he also prays for Peter. Luke, in his gospel account, records this same dialogue between Jesus and Peter, but reveals one other thing that Jesus said in this exchange. Luke records that Jesus prayed for Peter. He looks at Peter intently and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's a beautiful glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus. At the moment that he contemplates Peter's weakness in regards to the faith, as he ponders how Peter will deny him, he's thinking about how Satan, this possibility that, that Satan could slip in and steal Peter away from the faith in that moment. And as he thinks about this, Christ pleads with the Father for Peter's perseverance. He says, Father, don't let that one go. I've prayed that your faith may not fail. And this is how Christ intercedes for us. In the moment of our temptation, when when we would turn our backs on Christ, Christ prays for us that our faith would not fail. Jesus knows Peter's weakness better than Peter knows his own weakness. And he says, you will fall, but after that, you're going to follow me. And I'll build my church upon you. Our faith doesn't fail. Peter's faith would not fail because Christ prayed for him. Precisely because he had a mediator who was interceding to the Father for him, his faith would not fail because Christ holds us. There's a hymn with these words, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Not only does Jesus affirm Peter and pray for him, 
Jesus also dies for Peter. The death that Christ would die the next day pays the penalty for Peter's denial. Peter said that he would be willing to lay down his life for Jesus. But the irony of that statement is that the opposite actually happens. Jesus lays his life down for Peter. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come. And again, where is that? Well, it's to the cross. His destination is his death. Jesus is hours away from his greatest suffering. He sees it coming, and the very sin that he's predicting in Peter is the sin that seals his fate. And yet he goes for Peter. And that word for is huge. He goes for Peter. Just like he died for you and for me. That little word for is shorthand for in my place. Substitution. He died the death I should have died. He put himself where I belong. For me. He died so that Peter and you and I can be forgiven for our despicable denial. He died for us. Jesus is a compassionate Lord. There's one other observation that we should make. That is that discipleship is a costly path. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, someone who follows another. And that's exactly what these verses are about. Going and following. Jesus is going somewhere. Peter intends to follow Jesus where he's going. Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. You see, following, being a disciple, comes at great cost. That's why Peter wasn't ready yet. He underestimated what it was going to cost him. He thought following Jesus would be all about reward. A seat of privilege in the kingdom. No shortage of fine food. If he's ever sick, Jesus will be right at hand to heal him. I mean, this is what he had been seeing, right? This is what he expected. In fact, you might say, how could, he, how could he not follow Jesus with all these benefits in view? But his understanding was incomplete. He hadn't anticipated the kind of suffering that lay ahead. And because he hadn't fully accounted for all the costs that he would incur, when the moment of temptation comes, that, that will you identify with Jesus or not kind of moment comes, he fails. So this occasion in the life of Peter provides a sort of anatomy of temptation for us. At least at the outset, Peter thinks confidently of himself with resolve. I, I will not fail. I will not yield or commit this wicked act. And then he turns around immediately and yields to pressure. Why is that? Why does he fall? Why does he give in? It's because he hadn't counted the cost. He thought too much of his own commitment and not enough of the cost. This is the kind of thing that Paul talks about when he says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So what was it then that finally prepared Peter for the cost of discipleship? What was it that was the turning point for Peter? Jesus said, you'll follow me afterward. Well, after what? I think it was seeing Jesus on the cross. As Peter looked on the suffering 
of Jesus on the cross, the understanding of what discipleship would mean for him, the understanding of the cost that he would pay, began to crystallize in his mind. That's what it will cost me. Absolute renunciation of myself and my life. See, Peter had this unfinished painting in his mind of what discipleship looks like. But then at the cross, that mental picture of what discipleship is was completed. He came to understand that following Jesus not only included following him when he was hailed by the crowds and healing the multitudes and handing out bread, but now following Jesus also includes following him when he's hated by the crowds. This is when discipleship takes on new dimensions, when it's no longer glory and, and fame, but rather hatred and humiliation. So for the end of the story, you remember Jesus said, you will follow me afterward. Um, that is, after the cross. So the conclusion to this dialogue actually occurs in John chapter 21. After Jesus has died, he's, he's risen again, and now he shows up on the shore of Galilee with the disciples. This is the afterward. And he says to Peter, this is John 21, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. So now, having seen the crucifixion, Peter is ready. Peter is ready for this call. So Jesus says, the crucifixion is coming your way as well. Follow me now. To follow Jesus will cost Peter everything. And the message is clear for us. We look back to the cross for a clear picture of what it means to follow Christ. It means that we die. We die to sin, and we deny it rather than Christ, and we make him our Lord. And in the cross, we find forgiveness. Forgiveness for all of our inevitable failures to live up to that call. So a confused disciple, a compassionate Lord, and a costly path. May the Lord humble us as we joyfully consider our Lord's kindness to us, his patience in our failure, his prayers for our perseverance, and his death for our forgiveness. We'll share communion in just a moment, but before we do that, we'll preface it with a, a time of prayer. Let's just give thanks for Christ, for his compassionate response in the face of our sin. I'll open us, and, and Tom will close us in a moment. Lord, we are grateful for your kindness that you, considering our sin, knowing our weakness, still extend forgiveness to us. You remain our Lord. You remain our Savior, forgiving, interceding for us. 
Lord, you, you could have abandoned us. You could have abandoned Peter, and it seems you would have been right in doing so, and yet you, you stay with us in our failure. You remain with us in our sin. It's there that you meet us for forgiveness. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that we can celebrate the table together now because of that forgiveness that we have.